0: everyone, welcome to A Gut Feeling. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave.
1: As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their
0: life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what you've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now let's get into today's show. <laughs> Okay, today we are talking about a topic that has been a long time in the making. There's been a lot of anticipation and I'm sure people are very happy that we're finally going to be covering it. We're going to be talking all about sex. Like we actually want to specifically talk about sex. We're not going to talk about fertility and we're not going to jump into too many sort of related conditions like pcos and endometriosis and hormone conditions these things might come up a little bit but we actually want to talk specifically about an area that we think is not talked about often enough and that's things like sexual function sexual enjoyment sexual desire and how all this stuff is actually regulated and impacted by your gut yes i mean like obviously a
1: lot of the time we're talking about key accesses in the body. Yeah. And, and and it's almost like the gut is like the, the hub of a lot of these accesses. Okay? Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, like the gut to liver access and the gut to kidney access and the enteric nervous system. So we're always talking about these accesses. And it's amazing how many relationships the gut has with all these different yeah. areas around the body. And obviously one of those areas is the reproductive system Yeah, and the reproductive organs. So you've got the gut. To reproductive organ or, or gut to reproductive system access
0: yeah um, and it's and- one that people just don't think about much is it like obviously people are aware of you know some like we'll talk a little bit about utis and i guess that's, that that seems like that's kind of the extent of how people think maybe the gut and the microbiome might actually affect sexual function and sexual health isn't it like we don't really think about it in terms of sexual enjoyment and design and all these other realms do we well, we we don't really talk about it. Like
1: when when you know when people complain about you know dry vaginal area, okay, like you know, and and massive discomfort when having mm. sex, or you know inflammation the in the cervix or inflammation mm. in the pelvic region, okay, which which really is taking away from them enjoying yeah. sex. I mean, that's just the reality. Yeah, no one would just they just sort of accept it. Yeah, and they just don't ha- they just don't have this connection that that possibly. Could be coming from bacteria, you know, bacterial imbalances or bacterial overgrowth, or, or issues that have really originated in the
0: gastrointestinal. Yeah. Tract. So and, maybe that's and, a good starting point, Dave. Maybe we start with that. So let's, let, I guess, if we look at it overall as a broad topic of of sex, like discomfort during sex. So what kind of things could be playing into pain or discomfort during intercourse? Yeah, I think it's important for for people to
1: understand that that you know the bacteria they can migrate and, and, and there's a process called swimming. Okay. Well, like we actually like we know they can attach themselves to fluids and, and go to a a, a different location. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and within the, the lower region of the body, you know, bacteria can, you know, swim from the vaginal region to even areas like the rectum. Mm-hmm. So this, this happens. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to, should we, I mean, do we want to talk about like women first? Do we want to yeah, talk I think it makes more different? sense. And it's probably, we'll probably talk about females a little bit more, I think in this. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's, let's start there. Okay. But obviously, you know, some issues that women can experience would be something like, you know, like vaginitis for people who don't know what vaginitis is, uh, that can definitely be like bacterial based. It can be like yeast, candida, like fungi, and It can be parasitic. And, and obviously it's going to create a lot of like discomfort there. And and when it comes to sex, I mean, it is definitely going to affect things like sexual desire, orgasm, intimacy. Okay. And one type of vaginitis is is vaginosis. Now, once again, if no one's ever heard of this before, and I'm I'm sure unfortunately many females have experienced this, okay. They're going to get a lot of like, you know, like discharge. Hmm. Uh, There's going to be like vaginal itching. So there's a lot of discomfort there. Um, and also there can be like a smelly odor to the vaginal region as well. And actually it can smell like, you know, like that fishy smell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and you know, sometimes people just think, oh, okay, oh just smelling a little bit off. Okay? Mm-hmm. But that's actually a sign that there is like pathogens within the vaginal mm-hmm. region. Okay? Actually, one of those pathogens can be uh, Gardnerella. And that actually causes a, a very fishy smell to the vaginal region. Mm. I, I know like sometimes people can be uncomfortable talking about this, but we're just trying to highlight that, you know, there's things you can do about this. Yeah. A lot of time the answers are actually fixing the gastrointestinal tract. Yeah. Okay? And actually that fishy smell, I think it's really exacerbated through sex. Okay. Uh-huh. So they, so when they're having sex, okay, that, that, that fishy smell will be, exacerbated even more okay so Mm. they might notice it even more after after intercourse yeah okay Mm -hmm. um and actually what females need to understand is that they do have the mechanisms
0: to keep these pathogens in check Mm. okay and just before we jump into that david there's two things you said so far i want to highlight one of those is actually slightly off topic but you mentioned that this could be connected to bacteria or yeast candida parasites I think this is an an important note to make around so many health conditions. And I think we, it just needs to be said in case people don't know this, that anytime someone, someone gets like a diagnosis or a condition or a disease or whatever it is, that label, that doesn't explain what's caused it. So in this case, we are talking about vaginosis. It doesn't explain what the causation was necessarily, right? Like it's, you know, there's, it's basically telling you more or less kind of the symptom the outcome yeah and so well, it's it's basically a
1: terminology that covers the discharge the smelly odor exactly and the vaginal itching that's what it covers the symptoms
0: yeah and, you and give, so you we, get we need to doctor. know that it's just a symptom terminology like that's that's all it is right because otherwise people think this is a condition and there must be one explanation to that there must be one cause and therefore one solution but that's the problem we shouldn't be looking at well what's the what's the term you use and then what's the solution for that term we need to be asking well what was the cause of that yeah yeah and, the,
1: and in that instance the vaginosis is bacterial base okay and obviously yeah. going to go down the line of like antibiotics and obviously we, we've covered this in in previous podcasts yeah okay but you're not really fixing where the issues have really originated from and once again we always say that mm. you know if you've got those issues in the vaginal region yeah okay mm. um you're definitely going to have those issues in the mothership and the mothership is the gastrointestinal tract yeah okay and you know the way it works for like females like this would be the one thing where I'd say like females, it's actually pretty simple. Mm. Like actually when it comes to the reproductive organs and bacteria, it's actually guys where it's it's mm. really complex, okay, in terms of the amount of like different bacteria strains and um, we, we might, you know, talk about that a little bit more, okay, but, you know, really with females, they should have a high concentration of lactobacillus and we're not necessarily going to go into every single lactobacillus strain that is located in the vaginal region, okay, Gasseri might be you know, a pretty significant one because they've actually shown in research that lactobacillus gasseri can actually help with particular women's health ailments like endometriosis, which is obviously like estrogen dominance. I'm not saying that it will rectify that, but I'm just saying there is some documentation that it can help. And the role of the lactobacillus within the, the vaginal region is to actually maintain an acidic environment. Now, females within the vaginal region need about less than 4.5 pH
0: balance. I had a client last week, a male client who had a UTI. And there's several different things I did to sort of help him with the UTI. But one of them was I used a blend of lactobacillus probiotic. And again, like you're saying, it's it's helping maintain the pH balance. And this is important when it comes to infections down there. I'm just laughing because it was the only one I could find that was suitable, that had these these strains in it that were like the pattern and forms. It was marketed as like a female-only probiotic. And so this male client's like, are you sure this is for me? Like I don't (laughs) want to take this. If it's got the right balance, that's what you need. Exactly, exactly. But it worked because it's helping with pH balance. So tell us about it. Yeah.
1: Um, And so so you want an acidic environment, okay? Yeah. And having the acidic environment actually helps to keep in check the pathogens, the opportunistic bacteria. And actually, uh, I think they're, Pretty, pretty much shown that if you have a ph balance over like 4.5 that you are going to encourage a lot more pathogens within the vaginal region and experience these issues that i'm talking about
0: um, so aka if it's less acidic there's more likely going to be these pathogens or opportunistic sort of organisms Yeah, it it needs to maintain
1: that acidic environment. Okay. And and we've got to see this relationship with the gut as well. It's really, really important because if you look at like an area like the small intestine where 90% of your absorption and digestion takes place, actually one of the major broad group bacteria strains that is actually located in the small intestine. I'm not saying this is the only one. Okay. I'm just not I'm not saying that is actually Lactobacillus. Yeah. Okay, there's like 190 different strains of lactobacillus. So when when we when we when we're saying lactobacillus, we're talking about the broad group. Yeah. Okay, we're not breaking down all the individual strains. Okay, so if you've got low levels of lactobacillus within the vaginal region, okay, is there a good chance that the major area where you generally should have actually mm. high concentrations of lactobacillus, being the small intestine, mm. is also negatively uh, mm. affected? And I would say. Very, very high probability, yeah, yeah. okay? And, and also, that would probably mean that you're going to be a lot more prone to things like fungi and yeast and candida, like that yeah. would be like SIFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth within the small intestine because you don't have the beneficial flora to keep in check the pathogens that are going to occur within the small intestine. So, yeah, it's I, I think it's just important that, yes, we might be able to address it by by utilizing certain strains of lactobacillus. As I said, I use Gasseride as an example, okay? But we probably really need to fix what's going on within the mothership and the small intestine. Okay, and that's not as simple as just like using like a lactobacillus plantarum, which is pretty beneficial for the small intestine because mm. the plantarum actually helps with the intracellular type junctions and the structure within the small intestine, the structure within the gut lining. Really good for other things as well, like acetylcholine, like a neurotransmitter. But we're not necessarily going to just like Solve the issues in the small intestine by just using like lactobacillus. Okay. Like we're probably going to have to restore the structure within the small intestine. And by restoring the structure and actually helping with the terrain, we're going to help with the microbiome diversity and in turn help with the lactobacillus. And also, that's going to have a knock
0: on effect to other areas like the reproductive system and the reproductive organs. Mm, mm. So, you know, obviously, we're saying you, you need to be looking at, and we've used the analogy of the mothership, so the gut. Now, if we were to talk about someone who had, I'm not sure if we've gone into this in an in episode in the past, but say someone had a skin condition, maybe they had like a fungal skin skin condition or something like that. Obviously, the solution is going to be long-term to address the imbalance within the gut. And if there's an overgrowth in yeast or candida, or whatever, that's going to be the solution that's needed. But when they're doing that, it makes sense to support that a long term the same time and use something topically externally to actually help speed up that, that affected area. So then you would use, you know, tea tree or a or whatever. That's kind of what we're saying in this instance as well, that yes, we should be, we need to be addressing the mothership, need to be addressing the gut, but there could be some things that are going to help maybe speed up sort of those symptomatic areas along the way. And potentially that's where maybe a lactobacillus blend could come into it, right? Like that could potentially help speed potentially, some yeah. of these, these issues people are facing initially while you're doing some of that other work.
1: Yeah. And you could probably think outside the box and maybe I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but even like, you know, things like lactoferrin, yes, you get like lactoferrin within something like goat's colostrum. Okay. But Mm -hmm. you can take lactoferrin directly. And a lot of people go, well, why why talk about lactoferrin? I mean, lactoferrin is actually really good for helping to balance out the ratios between Mm -hmm. your beneficial flora and your opportunistic bacteria. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it can actually help to restore the microbiome ratios. And I would say that's incredibly important. Okay. And it also acts like a, a bit of a layer, like another mucosal layer to the gastrointestinal tract. So it's actually going to provide some protective support there as well. Okay. Once again, I'm sort of like thinking outside the box there, like even like goat's colostrum. Um, that's another one you could potentially use. And then maybe on top of that, something like a lactobacillus gasseri Once again, I'm not saying that that is fully going to, to, to fix the issue long-term. Okay. But initially it could give you some relief and and actually help to balance some things out. Yeah, yeah. There's another factor, like just with the discomfort. Okay, yeah. just with females is that there's definitely when it comes to getting like like I talked about, like getting inflammation in the mm. cervix and inflammation in the in the pelvic region. I mean, they look they have noticed with females that when they do actually have imbalances with their beneficial flora, that they can be a lot more prone to. Fertility issues, well, we're probably not going to go too far down that rabbit hole, okay, but even more prone to miscarriage, okay, and they are more prone to pelvic inflammatory disease as well, mm-hmm. okay? So that's even, that's just when we're just talking about them not having the the, the proper microbiome ratios within the vaginal region. So when you yeah? say,
0: so pelvic inflammatory disease, PID, so if someone hasn't heard that, what is that, what kind of symptoms might someone experience with that?
1: Well, like if we're, if we're relating it to like you know, like even like sex, yeah, okay. There's 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 huge like pain and discomfort there. Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, I mean, pain, I was, pain I, and I, inflammation. Yeah, pain, 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 yeah. pain is like you know, the, like the big one, okay. And that's like even what they've noticed, okay, is things like you know, like SIBO, um, negative gram bacteria, and these are unfortunately becoming even more common gastrointestinal problems mm. like yeast infection okay they have actually all been linked to inflammation in the cervix and the and and the pelvic region
0: so so just okay. pause there for a second so you've talked about bacterial vaginosis that's a, an issue there with potentially low levels of good bacteria maybe overgrowth of pathogens um the solution so how does someone differentiate kind of what they've got i guess in that case you kind of talked about like the odor might be a bit of a giveaway and so in that instance we're saying look you really need to work on rebalancing microbiome you've got probably got low levels of good guys low levels of lactobacillus part of that solution is going to be potentially using lactobacillus a good blend that's actually specialized to help with the vaginal microbiome initially but work on the gut lining Working on if there is some overgrowth of pathogens, they're working on eliminating that. um, Potentially adding in some food for the lactobacillus, so that might be some selective prebiotics. If that, like, at at the right time, depending on the the state of that person's gut, but that's kind of going to be that solution moving forwards, isn't it? Mm. Now, well, there's there's also the scenario if like
1: um, if females are more prone to urinary tract infections.
0: Yeah, and well, that's like, a whole uh, different one. Do the PID first. So pelvic inflammatory disorders, you a disease, You're saying now, this is also ultimate-
1: it, it. It does sort of like it does relate to it a little bit because okay. with negative gram bacteria, SIBO, they are more prone to inflammation in the cervix and inflammation yeah. in the pelvic region. So yes, there's there's a link with the the yeast and the candida. So this is where it can be a little bit of crossover. Yeah. Okay? But I would definitely say that, you know, uh, with urinary tract infections, which obviously a huge link to negative gram bacteria, LPS, lipopolysaccharides, okay, it can be some positive, like pathogenic positive gram bacteria that is linked to urinary tract infections as well, okay, and hence this could be the link to SIBO because a lot of time with SIBO it's a bit of a mishmash between pathogenic positive gram bacteria pathogenic negative gram bacteria but some of it is non-pathogenic positive gram some of it is non-pathogenic you examples gram, of, so.
0: of positive gram bacteria that's linked to utis as well
1: Oh, it's a it's a good question i'm trying to remember some of the direct yeah. strains i mean like there, there there definitely are some that are that are linked to urinary tract infections yeah. i mean obviously the ones that are you know, uh, are more commonly linked to urinary tract infections are those pathogenic strains of negative gram bacteria, like the big four. You know, okay? like obviously things like Klebsiella, okay, uh, Citrobacter, Enterobacter, Pseudomonas, E. coli. Yeah,
0: E. coli. I have to really rack my brain to, <laughs> yeah, to okay. remember. Like, I was, those, like, some I was just curious because obviously it's not as common. You know, but by, by far the. The most common cause of UTIs are going to be negative yeah. gram, but, but it it's definitely definitely some of that commensal bacteria and some of the pathogenic
1: positive gram bacteria. Some of those strains are being linked to urinary tract infections yeah. as well. Not not once again, not as prevalent. Okay, yeah, yeah. but they they basically say that you know that what is it, fifty to sixty percent of women will complain of urinary tract infections over the course of their life. Okay, mm. so it's, we're we're talking about an extremely common mm. issue here. And what I would say in that instance, okay, is obviously you're going to have to address the SIBO, the negative gram bacteria overgrowth to really fix this problem. And obviously that problem is really existing in the gastrointestinal tract. You know, there might be certain like uh, safeguards sort of like probiotics, like bacillus strains, that could be something like, you know, like megasporbiotic and things like bacillus coagulans, bacillus subtilis. You know, what I would say is something like a SBO ultimate probiotic where you get like a saccharomyces boulardii, it's a good yeast, and you get Bacillus coagulans, Bacillus subtilis. I mean, that'd be probably covering a few bases there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's there's things that you could probably do to to uh make some inroads into that, like maybe even something like you know, like a biofilm agent, okay. Um, whether that's something like you know, a biofilm defense uh, or interface plus with the EDTA. Once again, there's there's probably some simple things that you could put in place initially. Like even like a, I'll probably say like a modified citrus pectin could be pretty good because it's very good with LPS. Obviously, Takes the blood-brain barrier, but actually it helps to block gl three, which is the major pro-inflammatory protein that makes up the polysaccharide matrix of the biofilm. Okay, so I think there's some things that you could put in place, but obviously you're really going to have to get to the bottom of like the the major bacterial overgrowth that you've got going on within the within the gastrointestinal tract. I mean, there's even that they've shown. I think you know bacterial byproducts can create huge huge amounts of inflammation in the uterus, and they've actually shown. I'm pretty sure in Infertile women that they have completely different microbiome ratios within the lower and upper reproductive system. Okay. So they've shown these inconsistencies. So obviously, you know, this having a big impact on fertility.
0: Mm-hmm. So ultimately, like that's a good example as well, because you've given, so we've talked about PID and also UTIs, and both of those are ultimately caused most likely by negative gram bacteria. And so this is another one of those examples where the causation could be one thing, but it could actually present itself in in kind of a couple of different outworkings. And so the solution is still to deal with the negative gram bacteria or the bacterial overgrowth even regardless of whether it's uti like however it's showing up it's still the same solution now obviously there's things that you can do like you said to kind of help manage some of those symptoms alongside and we didn't mention d manos but that would be an example of one that's going to kind of stop some of that bacteria from adhering and and sticking um you know antimicrobials obviously would be something we would sort of generally use with our clients in that situation well, that's, a gr- that's a great point and i like you know very
1: quickly on that i mean the things that are very well documented even like from a research perspective like grapefruit seed extract is really good around urinary tract infections mm-hmm. once again we spoke and you know I've said that it's not everyone's cup of tea but mm-hmm. i wouldn't fully agree with everyone on that um uh, uversi yeah um, that's really great around urinary tract infections yeah. the good thing is it's, it actually helps renal function so it actually helps like even with the kidneys a lot of the time, they use Ubersi and like heavy metal support supplements as well. Yes. So that means it actually helps with even things like heavy metal clearance. And that, you know, once again, that doesn't sort of mean you take the Uber ursi for any longer than like you know four months. But you you could definitely use something like a Ubersi initially to actually help with uh, urinary tract infections. And I'd say it's probably a little bit less aggressive than something like a grapefruit seed extract.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, cranberry as well, like cranberry juice if someone's really prone to it. But again, this is like not going like to fix a, it. Like a, like, like are
1: you talking more like a demon noose or like.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you could just t- take the, the, the extract as well. Obviously you could yeah, do that in, yeah. in supplement yeah. form, but even I've, I've seen studies where they just used, I think it was two fifty mils of organic cranberry juice daily as a prophylactic and it was quite effective. So, you know, there's, there's definitely options there. And then obviously if someone had like an, an acute UTI, like they're actually experiencing one there and then then things like vitamin C and zinc and some of those immune support supplements might be beneficial there as well. But, you know, these are, ultimately this is symptom management. So the, you know, you can, you can keep doing that all you want. You can keep taking the minos or cranberry juice and keep doing that and vitamin C. And yes, this stuff's going to be beneficial. I mean, drinking water, those, I don't know if you saw this, there's one study where they just got people to, I think they increased the water intake by a liter a day. Have you seen this study? No, I haven't it was, seen it. I think it was people who were prone to UTIs and all they did was across the board, increase the water intake by a liter a day and like UTI occurrences dropped. It was like it halves or something like that just by drinking more water. So like there's basic things you can do, obviously, but you're still going to be prone to experiencing these things unless you deal with the underlying cause. Like I just, I literally spoke to someone a couple of hours ago and they they said in the last couple of years, they've done about 15 courses of antibiotics for UTIs. And then we get to the situation we spoke about a few weeks ago where the antibiotics aren't working because the bacteria is now becoming resistant to the antibiotics. And 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 once again, we've talked about this, they're naturally, negative gram bacteria is
1: naturally antibiotic resistant (laughs) anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So their structure is so robust. Okay. And and you just, obviously over time, you're just making that problem even worse and worse and worse.
0: And it's going to get harder to get rid of. And and then get this, that same person who, who used over a dozen courses of antibiotics for UTIs, then developed the yeast infection. And <laughs> now they've got a candida overgrowth because they've depleted lactobacillus. Yeah. So, like this is where like conventional medicine is not only not fixing the problem, it's causing new problems in its wake. It is, it it's madness. But that's beside the point. So one, 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 one <laughs> stat that you actually made me
1: remember. So yeah. I can't remember directly which which research paper it came from, but they actually showed that it could be potentially up to about 20 to 30% of women. That actually have low levels of lactobacillus within the vaginal region mm. so this is reasonably high percentages does that make mm-hmm. sense okay and so obviously it is going to make them a lot more vulnerable to these types of pathogens that we're talking about mm. within the and once again going to give them a lot of discomfort and all that type of stuff yeah, mm-hmm. okay uh and I, i'm always going to say like you, you you've got to go back to the source okay you've got to yeah. go back to the mothership we're just going to keep on saying that over and over again And then, you know, a lot of females, you you know, they need to understand that even when it comes to the hormonal balance, okay, well, your beneficial flora are really, really important to modulate your hormones. We're probably Mm -hmm. not going to go too far down this rabbit hole because we've obviously in a podcast, we've talked about the relationship between the microbiome, the gut, and obviously your hormones. But, you know, things like lactobacillus actually help to regulate, you know, things like estrogen, okay? Lactobacillus is a carrier for estrogen, so it actually helps to recirculate it through your bloodstream okay and this can actually create some issues around like discomfort around sex and even like you know dry like vaginal region and all that type of stuff because if you've got issues around lactobacillus you are going to affect something like estrogen okay and estrogen is really important okay when it comes to sexual desire so you like obviously a female wanting to have sex okay Mm -hmm. and also estrogen provides lubrication to the vaginal wall so you actually being able to have, you know, sexual intercourse without having pain, okay? Mm -hmm. And then also there's a relationship with stuff that we've talked about, which is like beta-glucuronidase, so altered beta-glucuronidase. So obviously there can be the instance where something like SIBO, okay, where you have high amounts of the estrobolum, and, and when you've got high amounts of the estrobolum, okay, as can be in the instance of something like SIBO, okay, is that you have high amounts of the beta-glucuronidase and then the beta-glucuronidase takes a lot of the bound estrogen, unbinds it, so you have more active estrogen in the bloodstream, okay? And so in this instance, you have high amounts of estrogen in the bloodstream and estrogen has a relationship with serotonin. And people want to know what that relationship is, okay? Estrogen is you actually require to actually help you with the metabolization of L-tryptophan. Tryptophan gets converted into 5 tryptophan 5-HTP gets converted to serotonin, and then serotonin to like melatonin. Okay, so here's the, the relationship. Okay, and what you can, what can happen is when you've got too much estrogen, estrogen dominance, you can have overactive serotonin. And when you have the overactive serotonin, that's actually been linked to, uh, they call it hypoactive sexual dysfunction disorder. Mm. So the wom- woman's actually just got no sex drive. Okay. And then also, if you let's say you have like just not enough of the estro because that can actually happen as well. So that's still altered beta glucuronidase, because mm. essentially what's happening now is they're not producing enough beta glucuronidase. And if they're not producing enough beta glucuronidase, then they're obviously they're not taking the boundation, okay, and unbinding it. So there's more activation in the bloodstream. So there's lower amounts of act- activation in the bloodstream, okay which basically means that's going to have a negative effect on sexual desire, lubrication of the vaginal
0: wall, okay? So so how can someone you know? Because there's there's a lot of ifs and buts there. And so how does someone know if that's them? So like would you say for someone who has more SIBO-type symptoms, they're more likely to have higher beta-glucuronidase, yeah? General, generally, yes, that would be a, a higher correlation high, for yep. sure. Okay, so as a rule of thumb, then we can say someone's got these digestive symptoms, bloating, gas issues with FODMAP foods, then there's a higher chance they're going to have higher beta-glucuronidase, which is probably going to lead to more estrogenic-type symptoms, right? So they could, in that instance, be higher serotonin, like you've just talked about, and that higher serotonin is going to negatively affect this sort of ratio with dopamine, isn't it? Yeah. And then obviously
1: the issues around like the the Eastern dominance. I mean, you know, weakening of the pelvic floor, that might yeah. be like, you know, a bit of an indication. Yeah. Could you say like, you know, potentially like maybe a bit of a weight gain aspect as well? Obviously, issues around like fluid balance. Okay. Cause Eastern actually yeah. helps to balance out you know, sodium to fluid within the body. Okay. So there's like more water retention. So that could be another factor. Okay. And then even particular women's health ailments. And obviously a big one here would be something like endometriosis, obviously, you know, more Eastern dominance. So you would say that maybe more painful PMS, uh, heavier bleeds. Okay. Like these types of characteristics might be an indication that the, the altercation in the beta
0: glucuronase is there's a higher elevation in the beta glucuronase. And so for that person, Again, this is this is not medical advice. We should have a disclaimer at the start of a show. If we don't, we need to get one, Dave. Um, yeah. but potentially something like calcium d glucrate that could be potentially used in this instance to lower beta glucuronidase. Maybe someone had a lot of estrogenic type symptoms, it a- could help. And you. once again, not a not a not a long-term solution, no. okay, but it definitely
1: could help in, in short term. Okay. Yep. Um, and I could probably say that you know, something even like bacillus strains again like bacillus coagulans and bacillus subtilis okay because obviously these are really good against a lot of the bacterial strains that tend to make up SIBO okay yep. things like mrsa even good against you know clostridium difficile and h pylori and but very good against e coli so so that could be something that you could apply
0: initially just to yep. to mitigate things yeah and and then like you said you're going to be dealing with the underlying issue which is the SIBO or the bacterial overgrowth now the flip side though what might someone experience if they had low estrovolum and therefore low estrogen, this could be, would you say, so it's not necessarily going to be SIBO, it could be, but not necessarily going to be, could this potentially be more, maybe someone who's had like very excessive antibiotic use, um, like, would you say well, that would be a more well, well, if you, if you, it, well, once again, if you look at a lot of the back I mean, it, it could be get a little bit harder
1: to distinguish. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if you look at a lot of the bacteria that makes up the estrobolum, I, I mean, one is like E. coli. Okay. Yeah. So, S. G. E. coli, you know, things like Enterococcus. Okay. It can even be like more pathogenic strains like Shigella. But once again, let's not go too far down that rabbit hole or me not go too far down that rabbit hole. But, <laughs> uh, but basically, let's say, because E. coli, a lot of the time people they're just going to think of mm-hmm. the pathogenic strains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And there's obviously six pathogenic strains. Okay. But most of the E. coli within the colon large intestine is good. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and we've talked about this. Like you need E. coli for your ability to synthesize B9, folate. You need it for yeah. your ability to synthesize B7, biotin. Yeah, okay. You need it to be able to absorb, you know, vitamin K. Yeah. Uh, you need it for coenzyme Q10. It actually helps to protect you against osteopenia, osteoporosis. Okay. So you could potentially say that what uh, females might, might be experiencing in this instance is like not really good at things like fat mobilization a lack of energy maybe issues around like like bone density connective tissue issues and, and and these types of things so i i would say that a lot of the time that could feel extremely like you know flat and lethargic but bear in mind that there's, there's a bit of crossover there yeah, with like yeah. with, with SIBO okay and that's why i say it, it could be a little bit harder to pinpoint because you yeah. could say in that instance okay like things like mudaflor like actually taking estrusia e coli e coli okay could actually be beneficial in that instance but i like i want to make it clear i'm not telling listeners to go do that because we'd probably want a little bit more exact information in that instance okay but if the beta glucuronidase was altered from that perspective yes
0: trying to restore the estrogen and the microbiome ratios is going to be really important in this instance. And would this person be more likely to experience things like hypothalamic amenorrhea potentially, or anovulatory cycles, do you think? Most likely for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So that yeah. could, but it's, could it, it, potentially be a clue. Another clue. Yeah. Okay. But
1: once again, it gets a little bit harder around the remedies with that. Okay. Uh, and you know, obviously I, I w- I'm i not going to tell people to go start taking something like mudaflor in that instance which I, I think you've told me has got some huge benefits around certain types of negative gram bacteria like klebsiella yeah. and I, I think you've even looked at research and documentation that actually confirms that okay mm. so but it, you know I, I think that gets a little bit tricky to 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 use that as a remedy in that instance because i just think you need a little bit more information i
0: think yeah i think i like when I a little bit more than you do um, but yeah. I don't I don't use it here. So I use it today with some well, of <laughs> I definitely use it with clients and I definitely, you know, I have seen people get a
1: huge amount of like benefit yeah. from it. I'm definitely interested around the research in terms of helping with like Klebsiella yeah. pneumonia and Klebsiella strains. Yeah. So should we switch sexes?
0: Well, I wonder if we should, should we make today maybe more just on females and then do I a whole to think, I think we're going to cover some. I mean. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. We, let's, we, let's. Uh, uh, yeah. Cause we, 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 We're trying to talk about sex and I think like we've got to cover like one thing is really important. I think even for females to understand that actually even a lot of their issues could actually be coming from the guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And so that's why I think that's probably really important to talk about some of these aspects around men. Yeah. Okay. Because once again, it comes down to the complexity of the microbiome within the seminal fluid. And what I'm talking about here is within the semen. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is just a, a lot more complex. And I think maybe, you know, maybe back in the day it wasn't that complex, okay, but as particular gut issues like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and high prevalence of negative gram bacteria have become more and more dominant in, in modern society. Now, all of a sudden, this is creating huge issues around sperm quality, you know, the seminal fluid, even seeing issues around like prostatitis, like inflammation the prostate. This is becoming a lot more prevalent. Okay. Mm. And that's because that, you know, within semen, there's like per one mil of semen. So we're not talking about a huge amount here. Okay. There's 10 million bacteria per one mil of semen. Mm. And actually, from a lot of the research that I've done, it's actually a lot of like proteobacteria, which is basically like negative gram bacteria that is having pretty detrimental harm on uh on. Sperm quality and and mm. and semen quality, mm. um, and even you know impairing on like DNA integrity within that. Okay, mm. sperm motility, all these types of things. I think they like even within infertile men, that one of the most isolated strains has actually been E.
0: coli,
1: E. Mm. coli. So actually, like negative gram bacteria. Okay, and once again, it's like when when men actually have these problems that. A lot of the time, okay, because, you know, we're just passing on like seminal fluid and semen and so forth, okay, that this could actually create a lot of like microbiome imbalances within the vaginal region of females.
0: So, so, Ian, this could stimulate things like UTIs, right? Like if if there's a high amount of negative gram bacteria. So you're saying not only, though, could it cause this transitory kind of infection, but it could actually shift the microbiome more, more on a permanent basis.
1: Yes. And actually, the issues that the females having around like UTIs, urinary tract infections, could actually be coming yeah. and initiated from the male. Uh, it's yeah. really, it's like, a, it's a real hard thing for men to listen to this, but I think they need to. Okay. Mm. So, and I mean, I, I think I told you like a while back, okay, is that I read a research paper where they were actually checking samples from like IVF treatment. Mm hmm. You know, so they're checking like sperm quality. So they're actually checking the, the semen samples to actually see what the microbiome ratios were. And actually with IVF treatment, they actually noticed that 34.5%, I'm pretty sure I got that percentage right, had particular like bacterial overgrowth. And so basically it means that, you know, yes, okay, obviously we can give the, the sperm samples and the semen samples, okay, but the quality of that sperm is... Mm. Is, is being affected. Okay? And actually what they found is that there was certain types of strains that were a little bit more prevalent. So one of these strains like Staphylococcus, now obviously, you know, things like Staphylococcus aureus is a huge link here with like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And actually they've found within like, you know, prostatitis. So like, you know, we're obviously within the prostate and- Like people got to understand that the prostate is really important for sperm quality, okay, and things like spermatogenesis and and this type of stuff. But they actually found within like you know uh, men who had prostatitis and like when there's like swelling, okay, and like an inflammation of the prostate, that certain types of bacteria strains like Staphylococcus uh, aureus and even certain types of negative gram bacteria like Klebsiella and and like proteobacteria like negative gram bacteria. That obviously they were that they were creating a lot of like inflammation within this region. They actually showed that Staphylococcus aureus and also like E. coli, and even like Enterococcus faecalis, which a lot of these ones that I'm talking about here have a huge connection with SIBO. And so they were actually finding that there was high proportions. This is my big point, okay? High proportions of these bacteria strains within the uh, the 34.5 percent of the IVF treatment analyzed like semen and, and, uh, and sperm.
0: So ultimately what you're saying there, you didn't say in these words, but basically you're getting at the fact that guys experiencing infertility are, are more likely to have SIBO or bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. Now I, I, there's a
1: huge link here with like, you know, like negative gram bacteria, SIBO, and bear in mind, a lot of the time SIBO is predominantly negative gram bacteria. Mm. I'm not saying all the time, but, High proportion of definitely things like E. coli, Bacteroids. Okay, these are some of the most common. Yes, Clostridium, which is positive gram, but uh, they can be a bit more of a dominance with like proteobacteria and negative gram bacteria. And they like and and you know I've spoken about this before where they've they they know that LPS. Okay, so lipopolysaccharides. Okay, they create cell death within the Leydig cells within the testicles. Mm. Now also oxidative stress. So high amounts of oxidative stress. And a lot of the, I'm not saying oxidative stress is a bad thing. Okay, but obviously when you've got high amounts of oxidative stress, a lot of the time that's coming from bacterial byproducts. And they, they mm. actually notice that men who have high amounts of oxidative stress creates testicular damage. Mm. Okay. And so actually, and, and that that exactly. to like sperm quality and actually fertility issues. That would affect testosterone levels, surely. Then, yeah, because well, because what what what's what's happening? Okay, with LPS is that you raise like things like toll like receptor four. Okay, you're increasing inflammation. You're getting more of a like an innate immune response. So you're mm. ramping up the immune response. And that creates, once again, it's a bit of a knock-on effect. That creates the cell death within the Leydig cells again, okay? mm. and their job is to help to release the testosterone from the gonads into the bloodstream. Mm. So what you're essentially doing is you're lowering testosterone, and of course that's going to affect things like sperm count. Yeah. So there's there's good documentation around the impact of like LPS to areas like the testicles and and Leydig cells.
0: So beyond sperm quality what other impact could that have on men's sexual function?
1: It look, we can go a few different directions here, okay? So let's 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 look at some other aspects. So if we look at something like, once again, let's talk about SIBO, okay? So one of the byproducts from SIBO is histamine. Yep. So you're definitely going to have high amounts of histamine. Now, also further down the line, that could even lead to things like histamine intolerance, okay, yep. which we've sort of like talked about before. Now, also, if you've got like damage within the, gastrointestinal tract, let's say you've got like a loosening and a widening of the intracellular tight junction, so you've got more like hyperpermeability. Well, also, because once again, histamine is produced and broken down in the gut, so there's also going to be excessively high amounts of like histamine as well. And actually, they actually say one of the most, I think it, don't fully quote me on this, but they say one of the most common erectile issues is actually premature ejaculation for men. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and you understand that people just go, well, really? Is that one of the most common? But men aren't going to talk about that. Uh, you know, mm. you and I can, can guarantee that a lot of men aren't going to talk mm. about like premature ejaculation. Okay. And there is a link here with histamine because like, so if there's histamine is high, this could potentially cause the premature ejaculation. Now, once again, if you look at it, histamine is released by mast cells within the genital region. This also happens with both sexes like females and men. Okay. As a result of an orgasm. So I'm just saying that naturally occurs. Okay. Now, if histamine is like really, really ramped up, okay, is there a case to say that this could even cause like, you know, orgasm and ejaculation to happen a little bit more rapidly? Mm. Okay. And I don't want to make it sound like histamine's bad. Okay. Like mm. histamine, it's a hormone, it's a neurotransmitter. We need it for hyperarousal in the brain. Um, it actually helps controlling like the sleep wake cycle. We actually need it for libido. Okay. But you could see that if this is like really ramped, it's already ramped up. Okay. And then you're getting sexually aroused. You could see how it could cause you to ejaculate a little oh, bit too quick. Is there any evidence on like antihistamines affecting sexual function then in, yes, in males? Okay. Yeah? So, so, so like obviously you can get to a point where these problems have been going on for such a long period of time. So especially when you get to severe intestinal permeability. So now we're talking about it's chronic Well, you could have like low histamine or you've got like histamine intolerance, which basically mm. means that the histamine does not play on the histamine receptors. Once mm. again, talked about this, there's many histamine receptors, H1, H2, H3, H4. Okay. So it doesn't play on the histamine receptors. So you don't get the chemical reaction. So you're not going to get that histamine response. So this is, you know, it could be low histamine, it could be histamine intolerance. And that has actually been a, a linked to erectile dysfunction. Yeah, okay. So man can't, just can't even get it up. And actually, so they've shown this with antihistamines. Okay. And obviously they play on H1 receptors. Okay. Mm. So you don't, you so you don't actually get the, the actual histamine response. Yeah. Okay. Mm. But remember, we've sort of talked about this can have a negative impact on things like DAO, like diamine oxidase. Okay. Because your body doesn't, perceive that it needs to produce the DAO, but they've actually have linked antihistamines to causing erectile dysfunction. And you you would say that would go in line with, you know, having, you know, low histamine, uh, histamine intolerance, okay? And guys, once again, because I said histamine is really important for libido, Mm. okay? And like arousal in the brain, this is arousal, okay? So uh,
0: it does play a a really important role in stimulation and libido. Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> not mentioned when the doctor gives out anti for your seasonal allergies is it no i mean i think they even um you know i think they've
1: even um documented where i can't remember the exact stat that that men who have like even like gum inflammation don't fully quote me on this okay but Guys who have really bad gum inflammation, which once again is linked to like bacterial overgrowth mm. within the with, within the oral region. Okay, now obviously if you've got that bacterial overgrowth in the oral region, you've most likely got bacterial overgrowth within the gastrointestinal tract. But uh, like something like 2.28 2. times more likely to have some sort of erectile mm. issue. There's another stat that just shows you obviously how how important this microbiome balance yeah okay and obviously not having like an overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria is okay when it comes to you know
0: um what about s- sexual INOS? function <laughs> i am reckon inos and nitric oxide might be playing into things inducible nitric oxide yeah like if someone's got SIBO could that be another cause potentially of erectile dysfunction
1: well, once again, like I like, I haven't read any direct documentation around that, like causing erectile dysfunction. I'm not, I'm not definitely not discrediting it. I haven't read any okay. uh, direct correlation between increases in I N O S and, and and erectile dysfunction.
0: Okay. Is there anything else from like a? We talked a little bit about like libido and desire. Anything else that could be impacting that in males from a, a gut perspective? Give me a little bit more information. I didn't have an answer. I was just wondering if you had anything else there because that's, that's a pretty common complaint, right? Like I, I get a lot of people who like, you know why Just like not, not interested. Don't know the same, like don't have the drive there.
1: Well, I think, um, you know,
0: like obviously we've talked
1: about the relationship of like, you know, even the impact of things like EDCs, endocrine disrupting chemicals. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, we talked about the relationship of certain types of uh, bacteria even helping with like androgen hormones, so things
0: like testosterone. Yeah, you know things like. Have uh, you seen acyntab- the actually you mentioned and Doria and the, the endocrine uh, disrupting stuff? Have you seen the evidence on polyester? No, I haven't. I haven't There's seen some, it. There's some some interesting studies on polyester, like polyester clothing or polyester underwear, and man, I think they, I think it was just on test. It was either sperm quality or testosterone. I think it was on sperm quality. I, I obviously can't remember it well enough to quote it here, but it was. Very compelling how negative the impact of, of polyester clothing was. Yeah, I look, at, I haven't haven't uh, read that documentation, but <laughs> I'll, I'll find it uh, and send it to you later. It's it's pretty interesting. But yeah, so you're saying like endocrine disrupting chemicals, things like plastics and you know a lot of uh you know cosmetics well, and once stuff again, people and, are and, using. and 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 just just the microbiome ratios themselves
1: Yeah. okay um because remember like you know I have spoken about this certain types of bacteria like the dorea and the sint and uh-huh. megamonas and these types of ones which have been linked to actually helping directly more with testosterone yeah and so obviously that's going to play a huge impact on you know sperm count and uh and you know sexual function
0: mm hmm I think we should do a, another episode on on libido as well at some point because it is something that a lot of people like, especially females. I get a lot of questions over this, and I think it it'll be good to put a bit more time into it. And you know, even if we do talk about sort of some of the the more hormonal impact there, and maybe talk about neurotransmitters and dopamine and stuff a bit more. But I th- I guess what's important well, to it, note, like it's like I just because I just thought of something else, and even when I was talking
1: about like the prostatitis that they've even shown that you know, potentially with like, you know, that like swelling and the, the inflammation there. Okay. Uh-huh. That what could actually ha- happen during, and it, it makes sense. Okay. During like ejaculation that that actually in that instance, okay, obviously when they've, when they've got the issues with the prostate, that that actually would make ejaculating like really painful. Okay. <laughs> so, so that can actually happen with men as well. Okay. And mm. so, you know, yes you know we could say like oh look at things that actually really help with the prostate i mean Mm. obviously there's a bit around like pomegranate yeah okay um even like pomegranate juice and all that type Mm. of stuff and other things that help with prostatitis i mean cell palmetto i mean i'm I'm not telling guys to go down this line okay but i would say like things that you know a little bit more direct towards like negative gram bacteria sibo I, like once again i'm gonna i'm gonna say like bacillus strains mm. so especially something like a megasporbiotic the bacillus coagulans, bacillus subtilis you know are you going to look at something like an antimicrobial that's it's really good around like negative gram bacteria I mean mm. in this instance if it's more sibo i mean you can go down the line of like you know berberine allison i'm going to probably base it more on the individual what's going to work better in this instance okay mm. So you know, like a like a biofilm agent. Okay, I mean, there, you know, a lot of there can be a lot of similarities to what we're going to use, obviously with a with a male, to what we are going to use with a female. So yeah. not exactly the same, but there can definitely be some similarities there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the I, I don't know if this is good news or bad news. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a combination of both. But I think the reality is we need to accept that there's not necessarily like a quick, simple fix. Like if someone's got erectile dysfunction or they've got you know painful intercourse or or whatever yeah okay there's obviously going to be things you can use alongside it but ultimately we're saying you probably need to go back to the gut and that doesn't mean that it's a you know multi-year journey like in a lot of those those imbalances can be pretty quick to sort out relatively speaking but it's not as simple as you know a lot of the time people just want that you know here take take viagra you know that'll fix all your issues or or take this one sort of pill and that'll fix everything and Unfortunately, it's not as simple as that. It's actually, you know, actually shifting microbiome and and changing ultimately what's going on within your gut. And so that's, hopefully that's empowering in some ways because it is a solution to what's causing these issues. But at the same time, like there's work there that needs to be done.
1: Yeah. Well, even with the, you know, the premature ejaculation around the connection with histamine, I mean, yes, you could take things that are going to help to, you know, maybe potentially things like, you know, Boswellia or quercetin, okay. And that once again, might give you some relief for a period of time, or might mm. actually help with that for a period of time. But mm. you eventually you are going to go half. You, you're going to have to go back to the mothership where the the major problems are originating from.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Dave, I think we should we should wrap up there, but I think we need to do a part two. I think there's there's more that needs to be said, and there's there's <laughs> I feel like. Uh, even from like a a male perspective, I think we only just started to unleash you. I think there's a lot more you want to say about sperm quality and all this kind of stuff. So I think at some point, I don't know if we'll do it next time or maybe in the future, but I think we definitely do need to do a part two. I want to go into libido more because that's something that I'm sure there's a lot of people who want to know more about that as well. So is there anything, any final comments or anything you want to conclude with before we uh, wrap up today?
1: No, I mean, I think it's just like, just for people to understand that once again okay yes we can provide remedies to to maybe help to support the discomfort there and actually just to uh you know stem the flow for a period of time but if you don't go back to the mothership and you don't fix that problem okay
0: like these these issues they're just going to pop up again yeah yeah awesome cool thank you dave uh, i'm looking forward to part two (laughs) thanks guys thanks so much for listening guys
1: As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media
0: profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.